Hi, Hannah. Hey, Anna. Hey, so we've been talking about our identities as writers for a while now. I think it's time to do our podcast. That's a great idea, but what should we call it? Hmm. How about how about a play on the pen is mightier than the sword? Like the pen is that, that's it. The pen is. The pen is so many things. It's scary, it's honest, it's funny, and the pen lets us explore what it means to be a work in progress. <laughs> and hey, Hana, we are a work in progress. You said it. Let's get started. Okay. Um, it's been a while, so welcome back and happy new year. Happy new year. Happy to 2021. How does it feel for you? Um, not a whole lot different than 2020, not gonna lie. <laughs> uh, there, I guess there is a little sense of like, um, I think looking forward to the rest of the year, whereas I think when it's when it's coming up on the end of a year, I'm sort of focused on wrapping stuff up. Um, so I don't necessarily make resolutions or whatever. And I definitely understood before January 1st came around that all of the things we've been um, facing and struggling with and everything in 2020 weren't gonna just like magically end once midnight hit. Um, but I do feel like my perspective shifted in that I'm, yeah, so now we're talking about like, um, especially if travel opens up, you know, being able to see family members and, um, I've applied for some jobs. So just kind of looking more toward the future of the rest of the year. What about you? Well, I, I tend to celebrate solstice as my new year. So mm -hmm. that's when I do a lot of ceremony and intentions for the next year. So like the actual calendar new year, I kind of, well, this year, <laughs> I've, I've had a lot of firsts. I had my first Christmas day by myself. I had my first solstice by myself and I had my first New Year's by myself. I mean, my son was with me, but I put him to bed at like 8 p.m. And then like immediately like semi drug myself to sleep and woke up at like 11.50 to fireworks and was like, oh, the New Year's <laughs> rolling in. So it's it's been a lot of interesting firsts for me, like living alone and experiencing all that as an almost... Uh, a nearly divorced single mother. Um, so I didn't have any high hopes for 2021 in terms of, oh, it's going to be a new year. Everyone's like, let's let's look forward to 2021 because the reality of the situation is just another day uh, of the same stuff that we're dealing with. And then on top of our, you know, U.S. politics with the U.S. Capitol riots and all that kind of things happening, it's it's been an interesting continuation of just the same shitstorm of what we've seen before yeah <laughs> uh and, but you know at, with the rollout of the vaccines and the um you know com uh, coming up inauguration of soon to be president biden you know there does seem to be a lot of silver linings hopefully uh in you know that are are coming but you know i also heard a, a news report that this like new strain uk strain of the coronavirus the extremely contagious one is going to peak in the U.S. in March. And so it's just like, there's <laughs> like, it's just constant blows. Mm -hmm. And so it's, I, I'm just, um, I think for myself in terms of New Year resolutions or solstice resolutions, 
it is a lot more personal and like grounded within myself and like my transformation of learning who I am now with with this whole divorce process and all that but I do think that my own self-healing is going to be very important for the work that I do uh, as my professional self and external self for the betterment of you know the good of the people and our country and the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing I think about with um, the way that we kind of mark the passage of time is because, you know, nowadays mindfulness and being in the moment are trendy. I think I can say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, they have demonstrated proven benefits, um, but it's kind of remarkable how still as humans, we spend so much time thinking about the future and the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so I kind of, uh, sometimes it's in a good way, you know, sort of nostalgically looking at what's past or feeling a sense of accomplishment when you have these, these moments to sort of mark the passage of time. Um, but I feel like sometimes I, and I, in the past, I really have not enjoyed New Year's Eve. Like it's not a thing that I enjoy celebrating. I always find it to be a little disappointing and stressful. Um, And I think like it's, you can't, it doesn't seem, I guess, at least the way that we celebrate it in the US, it doesn't seem like a great way to focus on being in the moment you know everyone's Mm -hmm. counting down to the moment so I guess in a way they're sort of present or mindful but it's all about like going to the you know the fancy exciting place or getting super dressed up or making sure that everything happens perfectly and when you're so concentrated on those things you're not enjoying it as it's happening or even just feeling it even if it's not enjoying it just feeling whatever you feel in that moment as you recognize that another year has concluded another passage of our planet around the sun. Um, and I feel like as I've gotten older, I've appreciated more those times when you can just sort of experience it in the moment and not like place any significance or too much significance on it before or after. And then I, yeah, I just enjoy it more when I'm not like nostalgically looking back all the time or excitedly anticipating what's to come, but just rather doing something in the moment that I enjoy. Yeah, no, I, I, I wholly agree. And I think that's why I value using solstice as an excuse for, for a similar thing that I think our society has tried to do with New Year's with resolutions and things like that. Mm-hmm. But like it's it's sorely lost in the, the, the idea of, well, let's party and have fun. As you are aware, we have very little intentional ceremony in our modern day society, at least unless you are a part of a specific religion or you do it on your own as a spiritual practice. And, you know, so for me, what I do on solstice is I I always celebrate on solstice eve. And I actually learned this from a friend who told me about this about 13 years ago, where he and his family on solstice eve turn off all electric lights and only light by candlelight and they you know tell stories to each other they set intentions and then when they go to bed they wake up 
before the sunrise, which isn't hard to do this time of year. Mm-hmm. And and then they go and climb like either Spencer's Butte or Mount Pisgah and greet the sun, even though it's also difficult here because it never seems to fail that whenever a solstice <laughs> comes around, it is always socked in and you never actually see the sunrise. You have to just guess <laughs> by the glow <laughs> of the clouds over the Cascade Mountains. But, um, you know, I have really embraced that every year and I often, you know, do a, a tarot spread for the year and I sit with fire or, or whatever it is, but I always go out before the light comes, you know, first light and, and go to that, go to a place in the nature and, and wait for the sun to rise and just be entirely present. And this year when I did it, I went to a really special park that I go to a lot that not many people uh, go because there's not many trails. And I was greeted by a pair of hooting great horned owls. And I knew the, the exact time the sun was supposed to rise, obviously, because I looked it up. And it the owls hooted the entire time I walked to the spot I went, and then I sat with an oak tree. And then I, I stopped, I heard them stop hooting all of a sudden. And I looked at the time and it was exactly when the sun was rising and they stopped the moment the sun rose. And they didn't hoot again. Wow. It's, it's remarkable how like, um, our being able to have so much access to information about our world. And yet in many ways, we're so much less in touch with, with it than animals and yeah, Mm -hmm. things that are sort of closer Mm -hmm. to their, to their environments. Right. It's all external. So Mm -hmm. Anyway, yes. So I, I'm a big proponent of of ceremony and and really being intentional with our with our thought processes and our mindfulness, and and the work, the inner work that we're doing. And as I'm doing more of my own self healing, the more I I've come to not only understand logically but start to embody the idea that there is no end goal to our healing process. That is, it is literally the practice that you do every single day. Mm-hmm. That that is that is the golden nugget mm-hmm. and it, and for me it's always been like well when i'm gonna when am i gonna be better you know mm-hmm. when am i gonna wake up one day and finally it's all like i don't have to deal with all my stuff anymore and that's just not the reality of it and it, it's more the joy mm-hmm. of, of the practice and i am finally starting to <laughs> really come to understand that well, and so I wanted to ask, um, I mean, we'll get into your piece, which is about, um, yeah, observing Christmas alone, but um, since this was your first year with doing some of these um, these practices or observing some of these rituals by yourself, what about, um, or have you thought about how you want to introduce them to your son and how you want to incorporate your relationship um, into what for now is your individual recognition or celebration of these things? Yeah, it's been a tricky one with him as it is incredibly important for me to at least expose him to my spiritual practices with also the understanding that I fully embrace and value that he is going to be drawn to whatever works for him. And so for me, it is important that he understands the spiritual world that I have been taught through my mentors um, and through nature. And, you know, I, I, I worked with uh, a Native American elder for about three years before he crossed over and he uh, asked me 
to consider smudging every day with white sage. And so that's, that's always a tricky subject just because I am a, you know, you know, white, <laughs> uh, Eurocentric uh, woman uh, who does not have any Native American background or um, heritage. And so it's, it's always a um, uncomfortable subject if I am asked whether I use, I'm appropriating somebody's practices, but I was given directly by a Native American and told that I, must, I should do this daily practice. And so I have been for years now, try to incorporate Jasper into that, but you know, he's, he just turned six and he thinks it stinks and runs out of the room when I do it. Uh, and, but when we spend time in nature, I think that is where the true spiritual practices come in and, and where I can truly teach in a way that he can understand because he's present with it too, in terms of, you know, listening and using his senses and using his intuition by just cultivating that as a daily thing as, as to normalize it as this, this is life. This isn't just a ceremony you set aside that you do once a year. This is, this is how you can interact with the world in a way that makes you whole. And well, I, it's frustrating that like, I didn't, I couldn't bring him in on the solstice ceremony because he was with Matt um, that night and he's been too young to be part of that. I do want to start, finding my ceremonies and honing those better where I include him into them so that he at least has some sort of foundation that he can build from and create his own because we aren't part of any particular religion or church or necessarily any spiritual practice. I'm kind of cultivating it on my own. <laughs> and But it is important that he sees that and he sees not so much of what I believe, but more cultivating the root, the, the practices and the routines so that he can understand how to potentially do that for himself as he grows up. So I'm also wondering, um, so one thing I should stop and say is, um, although I didn't make necessarily explicit New Year's resolutions, I am um, trying to read a lot more books this year. And so I will probably be bringing that into our discussion a lot because mm -hmm. I find that reading and writing are inextricably linked and, um, and talking with you about things is always going to spark, you know, thoughts in my head related to stuff that I've read. Mm -hmm. So actually a book that I finished today called A Tale for the Time Being by Ruth Ozeki um, talked a little bit about um, like quantum quantum mechanics um, and the idea of Schrodinger's cat, which I like had kind of known about a little bit, but it was just interesting to read in more detail. One of the things that she, you know, goes into some detail about is that the, the, so like with Schrodinger's cat, it's that the act of observing something changes that thing. Um, but then she talks a little bit more about then how it's not necessarily one direction. So it's not just that there's an observer and the observer is static and the observer in observing the dynamic thing changes the nature of that thing, but rather we all have impacts on each other. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm wondering too, for like you and Jasper, as you develop a practice that feels meaningful to you and meets your needs, but also is something that he can take part in and, and find interesting and engaging and maybe meaningful as well. 
it's not just going to be, you know, a one direction, you teaching him and everything that you have created will stay static. The very nature of you change or of sharing it with him is also going to change um, how you practice for yourself. And I am just really excited to see what the outcome of that is. Yeah, I, I appreciate that perspective on that. I hadn't maybe looked at it in that way, but it does remind me of, you know, teaching when I'm, I've been teaching so many children in nature for so long, how much I learn and understand skills better because I am teaching, because not only am I coming to the table with what I have learned on my own time of learning that particular skill or, under, or knowledge, but then as I am imparting it to a student, their questions and their their processes of understanding bring up, you know, multiple, you know, a multitude of layers of, of things I hadn't considered within that subject. Mm -hmm. And so I think within the practice of sharing my spirituality with my child, his questions are really going to bring up a lot of, uh, of new perspectives for me of, you know, of why and is that really real and, um, you know, seeing him experience something that I hadn't considered you know, in a way to experience that particular thing um, is going to, yeah, it is going to transform my spirituality and, and continue my own growth within my understanding of what it is, because I don't, you know, I do not believe that my spirituality is ever static. Mm -hmm. It is always ever changing and growing and developing and transforming as it should be. And bringing him in on that is going to, is, is going to make me a better, a better person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it really speaks to that idea of, you know, having um, like a curious mind or a growth mindset in that we can learn from others and we all kind of have some degree of innate knowledge or wisdom that we ourselves might not be aware of. And we're also not always aware of the effect that our reflections or thoughts have on other people, but I just, it's, um, mm -hmm. it's a really beautiful image to me that, you know, no one has um, a monopoly on learning or teaching. We're all, we all um, are connected, interconnected and providing opportunities um, to others to both learn and teach, which is, I, I just really like that. Yeah, it's, I guess that's sums up what it is to mentor and be mentored. Is, mm -hmm. is that perspective and yeah. that's how we as humans evolve <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so let's get into some writing then um oh yes so do you want to go first do you want me to go first I, if you don't have or do you have a preference i don't necessarily have a preference i feel like maybe i went first last time okay but i, I would be totally wrong mm -hmm. Because I was going to say, if you don't have a preference, I would love to hear or to um, to address your piece first. Yeah, if totally. that's all right. Absolutely. Okay. So tell me a little bit about how you came. So you know, maybe slight introduction of the topic, and then how you um, decided on this, or sort of your process for coming to this theme, and what it was like writing it. Yeah. So. I wrote this on Christmas Day, and so it's the 17th of January, so it was a couple weeks ago. 
uh, oh my gosh, coming up on nearly a month ago, I guess at this point. Um, and I had had my soon to be ex-husband and my child come stay with me Christmas Eve. And it was, you know, I've only been doing the back and forth week on week off with my child for the past, boy, it's almost been two months now, I think. I, I can't recall the exact, but I believe it's about been two months. And it's been rocky. And that Christmas week was a week that Jasper was with his dad. And so I invited them both to stay with me Christmas night because um, otherwise it just didn't make sense how we were going to bring Jasper over. And it didn't make sense for me just to be alone with Jasper on Christmas. I just didn't like that idea. But I also wasn't necessarily welcome at um my ex's parents' house, which is where they both live. So uh, they came over and um, it was a good night. And and then they stayed through uh, late, you know, early afternoon on Christmas day. And then they left. Uh, my mom was there for the morning too. And she also left at the same time. So about 3 p.m. I was alone in my house on Christmas day. And I was just really overwhelmed with the whole situation you know i the whole situation was incredibly new we we'd only been separated from the house it had our house hadn't been sold yet but we had been living separately for about a month by that point and this is the first time i've ever truly lived alone let alone with a kid half the time and so they you know after they left it was just i needed i needed space to just kind of decompress from a really I hadn't realized how emotional that 24 hours had been with having them in my house, with having my ex with me, of knowing that I had, while it was still a mutual decision, it was more my, my initiation, you know, I initiated the change in our relationship and the need I had to transform our relationship. And so there was a lot of guilt um, and a lot of uh, grief of, of, not being around the family I usually am around, not only because of the separation, but also because of the pandemic. And so I sat on a pillow in front of my sliding glass door, probably just for like an hour, just, just sat there, just like trying to just relax and decompress and feel and not just, you know, get horribly overwhelmed by all the multitude of emotions that were bubbling inside me. And then by the evening, I kind of, you know, moved through just sort of the shock of it all. And it was probably about 7 p.m. where I was just sitting on the couch, um, realizing that I felt the need to, to write, to write about this experience because I had realized, even though I'd spent Christmas Eve and the majority of Christmas with people, but at that point, this is my first time ever, ever where I had been alone on Christmas Day in my entire life. And it was really profound to just sit in that space of, I had made this decision to totally disrupt my life, to disrupt my child's life, to disrupt my ex's life and everyone else who's connected to us. And here I sit, you know, with my lit, lit up Christmas tree alone, you know, really feeling the impact of that decision. And so I, I wrote a piece on I'm really, and I, and I called it the loneliest Christmas because it, in, in, in many ways, it was my loneliest Christmas. Um, and yet it was also my most fulfilling and, and 
uh, growth oriented Christmas. So did you write it all in that afternoon or did you um, kind of, and, and if you were able to do that, um, how did that then impact your emotional state, which sounds like it was, you know, pretty intense at the moment? Yeah, so I didn't actually write the piece until the evening and I wrote it in one sitting. Uh, I think I wrote it like within a half an hour. And then if I remember correctly, I might've gone back to it a couple hours later and did some editing and just, but I think just the writing of it really helped <clears throat> um, funnel the emotions I was feeling at that moment. And by the time I had done, I stopped writing it I was in a much more stable accept place of acceptance because I at, at that point, you know, a month, nearly a month ago, I, I still was dealing with, I was having a harder time than my ex with accepting the situation we were in, even though once again, I initiated the entire thing. And so I am constantly going through this process of having these roiling, guilt-ridden, shamed emotions on needing to transform my life. And then having to find a place within myself to accept over and over and over again until I can finally come, you know, until it becomes more of my perspective than, than the guilt. And so writing this, I think, helped me move out of just sort of that, like, a hole of grief uh, to a place of acceptance and, you know, of wonder and of nostalgia of, of and gratitude really was where I came to of, of thinking back on all my Christmases over my 36 years of Christmases that you know of the ones I remember of how much it was always family filled even if it wasn't even that spectacular so um, writing this piece really helped me move through those emotions um, I'm not quite sure how to say this, but there's something about this piece and like the voice that you use for it that's different than any of the pieces I've read of yours up until this point. Um, it's almost like it's a little bit more hmm, stripped down, I guess. Mm. Mm -hmm. um it, so I, I feel like I could kind of sense that yeah this it wasn't maybe such a like intellectual exercise as some of the other stuff that you've written not that I mean I feel like you are always a writer who's very in touch with your emotional state and you don't tend to intellectualize things overly which I really appreciate but at the same time I think there's when you're a writer you're really thinking about like the act of creation as you're as you're writing something or composing a piece. And with this, it seemed almost more like you weren't so conscious of how you were creating it while you were writing it, but rather it's just literally unvarnished, unedited, this is how you were feeling. Would you say that that's accurate? Yeah, no, I I guess I hadn't thought about it because I, I honestly haven't read it since I wrote it that night. But it is true that I wrote this as if I was journaling and I think my voice that I use when I journal is just the raw me. It's usually never shared with anybody unless I pull, you know, pluck it out to use it for something. And then I probably would edit it heavily. 
but this is probably the closest piece that I would, you know, that I have come to share that is more of a journaling process than, than what I have shared before. So I, I believe that is true. And I'm, I, I'm happy that you picked that up because I hadn't really <laughs> thought about that until this moment. Well, and I do, you know, I want to say, so of course I said, you know, unedited, blah, 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 but of course it is still, you know, it's well-written, it's, you know, um, coherent. And so it's not as though it's like some uh, James Joyce stream of consciousness thing that I, you know, can't make heads or tails of. It definitely um, has, you know, you, you write in a really um, flowing, easy to understand structured style, but again, yeah, it just feels a little bit more, um, yeah, kind of direct maybe. So cool. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, do you, hmm, do you have any intentions for this piece? Has it made you think about if you want to write similar, um, reflections on other moments of life? Um, sort of what's the context for you right now, taking a look at it for the first time in a few weeks and, and sort of reflecting on the experience of writing it. Yeah, I hadn't really considered uh, what this could lead to until you just asked that question. For me, I think it was it was more the process of just getting it out and being like, oh, I have, finally have something to write. <laughs> Because I, I really have been not writing very much lately, and and really I hear that. <laughs> that. So it's it was exciting that I actually had something to even like put on paper or put on you know computer. But it is it is an interesting question in terms of like I still do want to write a book one day, and I haven't decided on what exactly that's going to look like, what genre or format or you know, what have you, though, I do think my strength is in personal experiences and personal stories. And, and I've always been drawn to those that literature, like um, Robin Wall Kimmer, where she writes, you know, her braiding sweetgrass book is, is really all just reflections on on her lessons and things that she's learned, being a native woman, and, um, you know, being a person of the plants, that kind of like s- storytelling is really compelling to me because it's, it's, I actually have the opportunity to write from my perspective and it, and it can't be right or wrong necessarily. It just is um, because it's just my perspective. And, and so this kind of piece is one that, that I could see myself continuing to write in this type of voice. It's just really raw and, and real for me that I, it, the other thing I have been binging on is Brene Brown and and her work in vulnerability and courage and bravery. And the whole idea is that we cannot be brave and have courage unless we are experiencing and practicing vulnerability. And I feel like this piece really touches on that because once again, I don't often share those inner thoughts that I have in my journal because it is quote unquote too vulnerable most of the time for me to share publicly. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, I, I'm honored that you were willing to be vulnerable in this context. And I think um, I was actually, I was listening to a podcast today on the um, 
sort of the effects of keeping secrets and it talks about um, some of the relief that we can have with just sort of letting a secret out there. So it's just sort of like releasing it into the wild, but that that's not as far reaching as it is when you actually talk with someone and have a conversation about it. Um, and how typically, you know, our worst case scenario that we're imagining is rarely what actually happens when we bring it to someone. And um, yeah, I mean, I think, um, I don't know if you were looking for, hoping or expecting for a particular response from me having read it. Um, if you, yeah, if there, if you have questions about, um, the experience of reading it, but I think, you know, I, I really enjoyed reading this. I think, um, so actually one of the prompts I have written down for us to maybe think about one day is to do kind of like a um, Hemingway style of writing, like super, just like no descriptors, no words longer than, you know, two or three syllables, just as sort of simple and terse as possible. And I feel like I mean, your, your writing here is even in its stripped down form is still much more emotive and, um, and like, you know, mm -hmm. complex than your typical Hemingway piece, um, at least talking about the language, but, um, yeah, I think, you know, working with this voice of yours, that's more kind of what you channel when you're journaling, um, I really appreciate you sharing this. And so, yeah, if you feel comfortable going forward, sharing things in that style, if it's not, you know, material directly from your journal, um, I think would be great. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that, that. And honestly, it's not difficult for me to do that <laughs> at all. Like this, this kind of writing comes really naturally to me. And so it's nice to hear that feedback that, <clears throat> that, you appreciated what you read and that it compelled you enough to to hear it from me more and so that that gives me uh, I just I guess I never considered how you would take it uh, it's just been so long I feel like since I wrote it that like in the moment it was more just this cathartic process for myself and I think if anything when I thought about you reading it it was more of being interesting perspective since you are not Christian, you are Jewish. And so you don't necessarily celebrate Christmas or haven't really ever other than probably a few instances with other people, I assume. Um, yes. <laughs> I've experienced Christmas. Um, and so I thought, it, I thought it was gonna be interesting for you just in terms of that realm. I just had forgotten how I'd written it. <laughs> well, and maybe, you know, yeah, so I don't know if you if you're having any feelings of of like discomfort or anything right now, but um, I think it it is a really great kind of like um, happy accident, as Bob Ross would say. Because <laughs> um, you know it it means that you're kind of dipping a toe into that realm of of maybe being a little more. Um, honest or unedited than you might feel comfortable with otherwise. And um, yeah, so if, if you have been hopefully pleasantly surprised by the experience here, um, then maybe you can feel emboldened to go further with that. Especially, um, so I'm gonna step out on a limb and say, 
Um, I know you've talked a, a little bit or um, more than a little bit about some of your insecurities around your ability to write. And so I think there is probably some value in um, having some of these pieces where you haven't necessarily been so concerned with the structure and sort of the linguistic side, that sort of technical side of things um, to then still have it be read and see that there's value in it um, might encourage you then to not not question yourself so much. I don't know. Yeah, it's, I mean, as we've talked about on the show previously, I've had a lot of, um, I guess, vulnerability around certain types of writing styles, specifically argumentative um, and more of the, the logical based pieces where I feel like I have to make some assertion and, and have it logically mapped out as to why that is you know, my perspective. And, and I've been working with my coworker, who is a writer on, on new tools to, to move myself out of that, not because I can't do it, but just because I didn't have the structure in my head to do so. And, and it's so funny when I am able to sit down and write something like this, that is seemingly fairly coherent and, you know, nicely tied up in a bow by the end of the, the piece that I don't even have to think about it. It just, it's just, I know how to wrap up a story. I know how to, to feel it out as I write it. If it's something that's personal and emotional or the moment that I have to do that in a more logical way, somehow I have a block when in reality it's, it's more or less the same kind of thing, except, you know, you're using a different part of your brain. I, I assume for certain parts of it, but um, it is, it does give me some courage to to really start thinking about the the way the the writing styles that I struggle with and trying to see the similarities in how it's really not much different than the ways that I feel confident in just because I've done it enough and feel confident that I'm able to to produce it and so um I've forgotten what you even prompted me with in the first place what was the question you asked? <laughs> well, just, um, <laughs> I, I, we've all been there. Um, just, yeah, so that kind of like, um, by happenstance, the fact that you wrote something that, that showed like a little more vulnerability and that it wasn't something that you went back and edited, um, maybe you will feel a little bit more emboldened to share other pieces that um, are in a raw state, whether that's emotionally or structurally, and, and you'll feel more confident about that. I don't yeah, know. Absolutely. Yeah, no, no. I, I, yes, yes. Um, yes, I believe I answered that. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, right. and it's also, it's also good to, um, yeah, to think about sort of like the, your comfort level varying, which makes total sense according to kind of the style of writing, the style of content. Um, yeah, because there are obviously some things that people are going to feel they can do more comfortably or that they're, they are stronger in certain areas than others. So it's good to kind of parse that apart a little bit for you. Um, so thank you. Yeah, yeah, well, absolutely. And I was curious too, you know, some of the discussions we've had about your your processes and, and your edges, 
with writing and and we have really dived into uh pulling more emotional writing from you as as you had stated in the beginning you felt most confident in more of your logical writing style is that correct yeah I mean I think you know it's hard because um that was several months ago and now we've done a few different things since then but yeah I would I would still say um that yeah kind of more intellectualized not not so vulnerable um in terms of like emotional or narrative um personal pieces yeah the the kind of emotional personal stuff still is my uh, an area where I don't feel as comfortable yes right I was curious then with this piece being I'm kind of just reading over now I'm like oh wow this really was raw (laughs) um but reading it when you were reading it the first time did because it was so emotionally led did you feel any discomfort within yourself um you know, I think I do sometimes, like as I'm reading it, I I tend to notice that like my brain wants to take a step back and like look at it like an anthropologist, you know? Um, and I have to <laughs> sort of tell myself, nope, just like keep reading and like this is a person that you know and love and um have like done good work with. And so like I guess it's sort of in my mind, um, respecting what you've done by putting these words on paper to read them and and maybe feel a little bit uncomfortable while I'm reading them. Good. I I, I always I always think back to like the one like in, oh, I took theater history at the U of O. One of the like it's not even a genre. One of the styles of theater was Dadaism. And, you know, it's just, it's all about literally trying to make the audience as uncomfortable as possible. (laughs) Um, I like that. I feel like we need to maybe engage in some podcast data theater. I I think so. I mean, I probably should like revisit the actual definition of what it is. I just have this like memory of my 20 year old self learning about this style and just being like, oh yeah, (laughs) let's just screw with them. (laughs) I mean, I definitely, I think you and I have done the thing in the past where we've just like <laughs> made the conversation just kind of really awkward and oh, yes. sort of kept going with that Telling and the lines. just like kind of, you know, continue to just really intentionally feel <laughs> awkward and like make you aware that I'm really feeling awkward right now. And I hope you're also feeling awkward, (laughs) but like knowing that you're feeling awkward about this doesn't make me feel any less awkward, but there's still kind of an awesome cathartic feeling of like just being really awkward in this moment with you and continuing to make it awkward. And I'm feeling a little awkward right now because of all the awkwardness that's coming out of this awkward conversation. But it's <laughs> wonderful because I'm kind of getting off on it. Right? <laughs> yes. So I'm really glad I pushed your buttons a little bit because I I know when I do just in like some of our true conversations where I, I am 
touching on much more emotional parts of myself. And I, I, I feel you kind of like retreat a little bit and I always get a little thrill out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> and I never do it intentionally for any harm. Just, I can just sense when you're like, okay, that's, that's my line. <laughs> <laughs> well, and of course, yeah, like it, um, you know, you and I don't have this sort of friendship where we treat each other like, you know, bugs under a microscope or something. Right. Um, exactly. So, yeah, I, I appreciate <laughs> the observation and the kindness with which you, you treat that. Okay, well, good. It's like, yeah, I don't actually want to hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> but also we want to, you know, part of being, um, you know, in a relationship like this, I feel like is you, you want to develop and grow along with your friends. And so um, sometimes that means we push each other a yeah. little bit. Just, just, just a smidgen, just enough. Yeah. To make sure we're both alive and well. <laughs> uh, was there, was there anything else you wanted to, to talk about with my piece before we move on to yours? Um, I'm just taking a look back at our, that list of questions that we started with at the beginning of the, of our podcast that I haven't looked at for a while. Um, anything surprising about like that you remember from writing it or in looking back at it now that it's been a while? Yeah, I, I honestly don't remember writing most of this. <laughs> I know it kind of sounds like you were in like a fugue state, just like <laughs> letting the emotions just run through you and into your fingers onto the keyboard. It really was. And like, I'm not surprised by what I wrote just because it's, it's just, I'm often writing things like this in my journal, but like, it is really fascinating to look back on being in, in like you said, a fugue state where I was really in a state of feeling. And like, it's so funny to be in those states and then to be out of them. And then to look back on those states and be like, wow, I mean, I kind of remember being in that, but like, it's like giving birth where I suddenly don't remember the, the, the painful process of, of how I went through it. it just happened. And like, and unless I am like dropping into that state again, I don't, I don't really even recall exactly where I was in that place. And so, but reading the writing of it, I'm like, oh, that's where my mind was like truly in that moment. Um, like, I, I am a little surprised by how vulnerable I was in, in writing this in like, um, I guess this paragraph here. Uh, I am not a victim. I do not pity myself or think I am in any way special in my solitude. I feel a deep cavernous sorrow, a grief so heartbreaking it threatens to burst from the pain in my chest. And the grief is not just my own and it is not just about this moment in time of lost and faraway memories i am living alone for the first time in my life i chose to break away from what no longer held me supported me and nourished me and i grieve as much of it wasn't as if it wasn't my own choice and it's just interesting to, to read that and know that i wrote it and to know that like in the writing of that i was still trying to come to terms with what choice i had to make and, and now that I'm, you know, weeks out from that moment of, of, uh, of grief as I was writing that, and I've come into more acceptance and, and gratitude for where I am now and for applauding myself for the courage I, I had to do in order to live. Um, 
I guess I'm just, it's just, I guess this is why we journal and, and read back because we forget, we forget the processes that, t that, that brings us to where we are and now in this moment, even though by tomorrow I'll have another moment that I'll probably change again. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, it's really cool to look back on that moment and be like, oh, I'm not in that really, I'm not in that place now. You know, I could, I could dive back in at some point, but, but I moved through that. Yeah. Well, and it's almost this idea of like, you know, we are infinite us's. So like you are reading what past Anna and like Christmas day Anna was feeling and thinking and January 17th Anna is, is a different Anna. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost like you're, you are an observer of your own life. Like you are, um, and yeah, maybe at some point you will slide back into being Christmas day Anna and, and have that experience again. But, um, and maybe this is like where my discomfort comes up. Cause it's like helpful to think about it as though I'm looking at a different version of myself, but, um, yeah, it, it sometimes when there is that really big break in or, or progress or jolt into something different, um, it almost feels like, you know, when I've looked at stuff I've written in the past in sort of a journaling style, it's like, oh, I mean, I remember technically feeling that way, but I definitely don't feel that way anymore. And so I'm just sort of like observing it from an, a little bit of an outsider's perspective. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's precisely it. And probably one of the major reasons we journal. <laughs> um, but it is, I just, I guess I hadn't been able to articulate that other than maybe in my own head of what, what it's like to, to go back and read a different, uh, a part of you that's always you, but a time and place that you aren't in at this moment. Mm -hmm. Totally. Very, yeah, very profound. Yes. <laughs> um, anything else you want to say about it? Um, not necessarily. I think I might just want to take some time, uh, you know, after we're done here to kind of read it again um, in more of just a, an absorbing sort of way uh, of, of what I actually wrote. But um, I'm glad that I thought to, to write this down for this project and that we are having a lot of great conversation come out of it. Me too. Like I said, um, Bob Rouse would be super <laughs> pleased with our happy accident. Oh, Bob. <laughs> Next week, Hana brings a short piece inspired by the unending, maddeningly tedious fogs of her little river valley. This podcast has been another episode of The Pen Is, with your hosts Anna Bradley and Hannah Binder, and technical support provided by Julia Einersen. Thanks, as always, for spending some time with us as we learn about ourselves as writers and humans. You can find new episodes weekly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. We love hearing from others about their own experiences with writing. Please feel free to email us at annahannapodcast at gmail.com. Until next week, keep that pen busy.